so every time you see this sort of promising technology, you see on the outer edges, there's these con men and fraudsters just waiting to capitalize. And it's also something that we've been doing since the start of time is conning people into thinking that you can offer them immortality. But yeah, the, the one thing you find when you go into this research in longevity is that we really don't know that much. Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Parton and you are listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio. This week our guest is business and technology reporter Peter Ward. Earlier this year, Peter released his book The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever, where he investigates the many movements and organizations that are seeking to increase the human lifespan. From the Church of Perpetual Life in Florida to some of the biggest tech giants in Silicon Valley. In this episode, we explore Peter's findings, which takes us on a tour from cryonics to mind uploading, from supplements to gene editing, and much more. Along the way, we discuss the details of how one might actually achieve immortality, talking about senescent cells and telomeres, discussing whether it's better to live healthy than to live long. We also discuss the scams and failures that seem to dominate the longevity space, as well as the efforts that seem the most promising. And now, since we're on the topic of discussing how precious life is, I'll waste no more of your precious time. So everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Peter Ward. Well then, Peter, thanks for joining me. Uh, I think the best place to start is in April of this year, you released a book called The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever, and where I love to start with anyone who's written a book is just hearing about your motivations for the book. Why did you decide that this was a topic worth exploring? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, start off with, um, so my first book was about the privatization of space um, and how that was moving things along in the space sector and, and what the, the the challenges and what the uh, potential consequences of that were. Um, and then one of the sort of questions that kept coming up with the space enthusiasts who I was talking to was, you know, how are we going to get beyond sort of Mars? How are we going to get beyond the solar system when uh, it's going to take so long? And, you know, we're obviously we're going to die on the way there probably. Um, so longevity sort of came uh, came up in those conversations and I quickly sort of became fascinated by it. So um, So after I'd finished the first book and I'd, taking some time to sort of recover mentally and, and physically. <laughs> um, I, I looked into this topic and I, I, I instantly found it absolutely fascinating. And the more I got into it, the more fascinated I got. Um, and I, I found this, this church in Florida, the church of perpetual life, um, which seemed to be sort of the most extreme iteration of, of this idea. Um, not necessarily, I think the most sort of um, serious, maybe it's not the most scientific, but definitely the most sort of fanatic, um, fanatical approach to it. So I, so I went down to the church and I met the people down there and they were really nice and uh, introduced me to the topic. Um, and they were everything I hoped for, you know, very eccentric and, um, really enthusiastic. Uh, and, and yeah, so it went from there and the reporting just sort of went on. Yeah. I mean, the relationship I feel like between religion and immortality is is obviously one that is very closely entwined, but not so much technology. Do, do you feel like a lot of the people who are technologically inclined and pursuing some form of longevity and immortality are operating on a similar religious instinct? Or do you feel like from what you've seen, it's more just curiosity? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. It, it sort of changes from from group to group, I think, mm -hmm. and person to person. Some of them uh, completely fit religion into their idea of immortality. Um, so the the Mormon Transhumanism Association, for example, they um, it, it fits almost perfectly into their religious beliefs. Um, and so you can see where they're coming from with that. Other people, they sort of hold on to their traditional religious views at the same time. And the way most people sort of justify it is they say, well, all religion preaches that immortality is available at some point, all Western religions, certainly. Mm. Um, 
And so they just say that, well, in, instead of just waiting for it to happen, instead of waiting for, you know, heaven on earth to happen, we're just going to go ahead and, and make it happen. So that's how it sort of fits into religious views. Um, and then there are other people that are staunchly anti-religious, mm. uh, which you can imagine. They just don't see it fitting in at all. They think, you know, this is the next step that we've outgrown religion. Um, so it's really interesting talking to those people and seeing the whole sort of range of of opinions coming out and you know, when religion's involved, it's always it's always messy. Um, so I had to sort of tiptoe around it a little bit, but a, a lot of people, particularly the anti-religion people, were very happy to share their views. Um, yeah. So yeah, really fascinating range of uh, of opinions. Did you find much conflict in that regard? Did you see some, you know, as you were approaching these people and asking questions, did some different opinions kind of start to butt heads, or did you even? find yourself with like i don't know a protest outside the church or something um so yeah i think some people are awkward about it like there's some aspects of it that i think the religious the deeply religious people are, are very are very scared of i guess mm. um it's called you're sort of encroaching on their turf when you start to say you're going to live forever um so it's it's uh for some people it's all they're always going to say you know this is you know this is um witchcraft almost just mm. modern day witchcraft um but i think um in terms of the people i spoke to there were some people that said oh why are you talking to the church that's just you know that's just people hanging on to you know the remnants of 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 religion it's not needed we don't need it this is transhumanism we don't need religion um and then there were other people obviously that that still held really religious views um so yeah i didn't see anything sort of any any sort of crashes there were no sort of people at the at the gates trying to get in and, and shut them all down um but i definitely felt that there was friction within it it wasn't mm. it wasn't it's was sort of bubbling under the surface i think um and i think if you got them in a room and brought up the topic of religion everyone together it would definitely cause some friction sure yeah could could you talk a little bit more about the like the church of perpetual life and kind of some of the ideas that they were putting forth yeah, so so they are they're a registered religion, they're the official religion, um, and they essentially their members believe that they can live forever through the use of technology. Um, so they they believe staunchly in this concept of um, uh, escape velocity, which means that you only need to live for a certain number of years, more years. So let's say the the, the number sort of changes. Um, obviously, it gets pushed out every now and then. Um, but they say, for example, if you can live for 30 years, then technology, medical technology will reach the point where you can live for uh, another, say, 30 years. And then during that time, you'll get added another 100 years and eventually you'll just be able to choose when you die. Um, so it's it, it's it's leaning on that sort of exponential curve again, mm -hmm. which we see so often in technology. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, so, that's, so they sort of gather together um, every month and uh and they discuss it it's it's the building is like a, a church it's it looks a lot like a church the services themselves are not so much like a church it's more sort of presentations and mm. discussions um but occasionally someone does get up and really goes into the immortality um quite heavily and it becomes sort of like a sermon like a church sermon um so yeah they're really fascinating group and, and actually really nice people as well they're all extremely positive they're all mm. um you know, there's there's not a hint of sort of cynicism amongst them, which um, you know, as a as a journalist, I was you know really believed. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, refreshing being a cynic myself. Um, but sure. uh, yeah, so a really nice group of people, um, and and obviously a quite 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 an odd group of people as well. Really really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you'd have to love life if you wanted to live forever. So it kind of is a good self filtering mechanism there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you need to sort of be enjoying what you're doing, um, <laughs> and sort of block out certain things. I think as well. Sure. Did they have like a particular technology that they were most excited about? Like, did you see an emphasis on cryo, on mind uploading, on you know I any particular avenue that they thought was the most promising? Yeah, cryonics was a big part of it. Um, mm. That was a huge part of it, but they sort of see that as the backup, sort of plan B. Um, so if they are to die, then they think they should be frozen just in case uh, they can be reanimated at a later date. So, so I mean, the audience is usually quite old, so you can see why 
that would appeal um just because the you know if they don't reach that escape velocity then they're done for so the sort of the plan b is that i'll freeze my body and then i'll be reanimated after the escape velocity um so chronics was a huge part of it um a lot of it's about sort of supplements um mm. and things just to get you across that line to that escape velocity so a lot of sort of um talk of you know the, the latest sort of miracle uh molecule which is going to make you live a little bit longer which is going to stave off some of the the uh diseases related to old age and the cancers and heart heart disease um that's a huge part of it um and then they do go into some of the sort of more out there um uh technologies there's not so much on mind uploading that i've seen Mm. um but um yeah it's definitely all talked about it's all it's all fair game yeah well in terms of cryonics where is the state of cryonics right now because i know you talked a lot about in the book there's several sections that really talk about the fumbles and and really uh let's just call it uh, big failures in the space um but where is it at now like are people is it looking like there's real potential there now or is it still kind of like people are holding on to something that sounds great in science fiction but so far has been really poorly executed yeah i think right now it's the the numbers are still really disappointing mm-hmm. in terms of the number of people signed up to be frozen is very low considering mm-hmm. you know the world population it's it's a tiny tiny portion um and the number of people actually frozen is still extremely low um across the across the world so it's clear that the take up hasn't been great um and a lot of that i think is is partly to do with what like you said the sort of the missteps of the mm. early years um and the fact that it, it was just sort of taken forward by i guess hobbyists rather than scientists um who had some some terrible failures <laughs> some of them almost darkly comedic failures yeah. um but and it's, it is an interesting thought experiment i was talking to someone about this the other day what would have happened if chronics got off to a better start would it would it be something that we um, thought differently of today? Because if, mm. if you really think about it, all it is is, is a, just a different way of disposing of a body. You're just freezing it instead of burying it. Um, and, and I think even people within it acknowledge that, yes, there's probably a 0.1% chance at the very best of them ever being reanimated. Um, but they think that that's better than a 0% chance. Um so it is interesting to see if you know if it becomes sort of part of the mainstream, if that would have been the third sort of option, you could be cremated, buried, or or frozen when you die. Um, but that just hasn't happened. And it's partly because there's been absolutely no um no progress on the side of reanimation. Mm. Um so it's really still a shot in the dark. It's you you're relying on these sort of scientists of the future to figure this out. Um and nobody's really making any progress there at all. Um, and whether it's possible ever is, is you know, you, you can't ever say no, but it doesn't look like it right now. Um, but then, and then it's also why we, you know, there's there's a big debate over how much you have to do in the freezing process. Are, mm. are, are they freezing people well enough that they would be able to be reanimated in the future anyway? Um, and then if the technology becomes that great, then will we be able to just reconstruct people from, you know, a single piece of DNA? And then the freezing process is pretty <laughs> um, redundant anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's all really hypothetical. And that's, I think, ultimately what holds it back is that there's too many, there's too many leaps of faith required to really mm. get there with cryonics. Um, and yeah, that kind of brings us back to religion again, I guess. <laughs> Could you tell us about one of the like darkly comical failures that you mentioned before? Um, yeah, so so there's there's a few in the book. I I I, I mean, I really like the Chronics people again. Um, so I felt slightly guilty putting in their biggest failures in the book, but it just it just sort of spoke so much of how this movement came about and how it evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for example, like the first person to to um, to freeze a person uh, was a guy called Bob Nelson, who was a TV repairman, um, and he his sort of reign um, as the as the go to guy in the cryonics industry. Um, this is back in the in the sixties and seventies. Sort of ended with this episode called the Chatsworth disaster, where he essentially ran out of money and just left all these bodies to decompose in this 
in this cemetery, um, in this crypt. Um, and yeah, so he has several sort of, he, he wrote a book about it, which is freezing people is not easy, uh, was the title of the book. Um, and he was just all over the place, really. He was, you know, he was trying all sorts. And it, a lot of people think that he was actually just a complete scam artist. He was, mm. he was just taking the money and going off on great vacations. And, and meanwhile, sort of not, not putting much money into the actual freezing. Um, so yeah, his, his sort of early days are really interesting. Then there was, there was a later episode where a, a frozen head goes missing, um, because the, uh, LA, um, uh, a coroner's office in LA comes calling, uh, because they, they believe that this had, that the, the person, the, the old woman who died, that they'd cut off the head and frozen it before she was actually dead. Um, and there was a mix up in terms of there not being a doctor there to declare her dead before they did that. Um, so it became this whole big episode in the early, uh, late eighties, early nineties, um, in LA. Uh, and so they essentially, they made a decision to hide the head. The coroner's office wanted it for a post-mortem. And if you do a post-mortem, then there's no chance of it coming back to life. Essentially, they think that's it you're done. Right. So they, um, so they hid the head, they took it out of the facility and, and hid it. Uh, and the police come along, they raid the facility and they can't find the head. Um, yeah, and this poor old woman's head is just being sort of, you know, just a, a reluctant fugitive taken around Los Angeles. Um, and, and eventually, actually, they won uh, a restraining order against the uh, coroner's office. And that was actually one of their big victories. Um, and uh, and in the end, they sort of had to back off. It, it didn't help that the coroner himself was a really nasty piece of work. Yeah. Um, and just went after these people and sort of made them out to be sort of devil worshipping old lady killers. Uh, when, when in actual fact, they were just sort of enthusiasts who were mm. trying to move along science. Uh, whether they were actually going to make any progress or not was another question. But I don't think there was a, a sort of mean bone in their bodies, really. When you mentioned there as well that you believe the first guy might have just been kind of not not faking it i guess but a little snake oil salesman uh in in a way how much of the longevity movement and what you're seeing is kind of people just trying to make money doing the snake oil you know exploitation route versus people who are genuinely putting in you know real efforts to make this work and only promising what they think they can deliver yeah, I think it's there's a large portion of it is the snake oil salesman, mm. I think, um, just because it's so easy. And it's also something that we've been doing since the start of time is conning people into thinking that you can offer them immortality. It's like the oldest trick in the book, basically, for fraudsters. Um, and if you go back through you know, the, the earliest literature, it's always these cautionary tales against chasing immortality. Um, so... I think, yeah, it's something that we've always done, but now it's a sort of more dangerous time because the technology is actually improving to help sort of things like anti-aging and to make us live a little bit longer and live healthier for longer. It's easy to take that and sort of wrap it into this immortality tale mm. and sell it to people. Um, things like stem cell therapies, like there's obviously stem cell treatments are hugely promising area of science that uh, could be you know incredible the things that we do with, with stem cell technologies um but right now people are offering that there are there are stem cell um treatment centers out there which are offering things that they just can't do mm. um you know they're just taking stem cells from anywhere and injecting them anywhere in the body and saying oh well, now you're going to be younger just because <laughs> i put put these stem, your own stem cells back into you in some place um so it's really so every time you see this sort of promising technology, you see on the outer edges there's these con men and fraudsters just waiting to capitalize. Um, the same thing with the supplements. Um, not all of the obviously not all of the supplements work, otherwise we'd all be taking them. Um, and a lot of them, you know, the research is just from you know sort of mice at the very best. So something that will make a very sick mouse live a tiny bit longer is not necessarily going to make a human live longer, even if you, if you are sick. Um, so you get these sort of miracle, miracle supplements come up and people spend an absolute fortune on them. Um, and again, it's sort of playing into, into that sort of 
deepest sort of urge for humanity to survive um it's really easy to to get someone into that con um because you're offering something that we all want to, to yeah. live a bit longer and all you have to do is take a few pills it's so easy yeah yeah so easy <laughs> do you think the uh supplement industry i guess then would be probably be one of the bigger abusers or maybe exploiters of this longevity uh goal i think so um i think definitely it, it's one of those it's, it's not very well regulated mm. supplementary in the, the supplement industry so um it is quite easy you don't have to go through any kind of you know regulation or, or um, proof of concept really you can pretty much say anything um and it's so it's kind of scary what they can what they can sell you um but there's i mean there's really none of it is going to kill you mm. it's just the worst it's going to do is going to lighten your wallet by a considerable amount waste your time taking these and then you're not going to live any longer um so yeah i think that's definitely one to look out for just as, because we have this really aging population mm. um in in america and in, in europe as well we have very aging populations it's going to become a, a bigger and bigger issue that we're going to have these uh, people looking for solutions to make themselves at least feel a little bit younger. Um, and there's all these, all these sort of so-called, you know, these, these drugs out there, uh, they're not really drugs, I guess supplements um, mm. out there, which they can take. Um, and yeah, it's just easy pickings. There's going to be more and more people. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see what kind of regulation can be brought in around that or whether we see, it getting slightly stricter. Right. I mean, <clears throat> thinking of supplements, uh, it seems, you know, I don't think anybody's taking a supplement thinks it's going to make them live forever. And mm. I think a lot of what I see in the longevity space is this idea of living longer, healthier, you know, the, the health span versus the lifespan. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the difference between the two? And I don't know, maybe do you see the community being more of one than the other and, and maybe kind of the efforts taking place in both regards? Yeah. Yeah. So health, health span is essentially, I want to live healthier for longer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I want to die at 95, but I want to live a very healthy life until 10 days before I die. Um, that's the ideal <laughs> scenario. And then lifespan is just, I want to live longer. So I want to live to 150 and, and um, you know, if I'm healthy for that, that's great, but I do want to just live until I'm 150, 200, uh, pick your number, I guess. Um, so it is a big debate. Um, and like health span is very much the more sensible, um, and definitely more noble goal. As far as I found, um, I got into both of them, all of the sort of gerontologists preach health span. That's what they're going for. So anyone that's, you know, really the scientists, anyone, the, the, the professors, the academic side, they're all looking at health span rather than lifespan. Um, and then I think the lifespan crowd is this sort of, is a fringe of that, of the mm -hmm. anti-aging crowd. Um, there's definitely some crossover. Obviously, some people think health span by chasing lifespan, you'll increase your chances of targeting health span. Um, so, you know, their theory is that, you know, if we target immortality, then we'll definitely reach like 100 years old or better health span. Um and, and yeah, one of the gerontologists I spoke to said, um, I said, you know, is that a good approach? And she said, that's like saying, well, I want to improve uh, the aviation industry. So I, I'm going to try and make people fly and put wings on them. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's like, it, it doesn't pay to, she, she was basically arguing that it doesn't pay to chase an, an inachievable goal. You may as well just, mm. you know, just go for what is possible. And, and health span is definitely possible. And improving the health span is, uh, would be a, an amazing thing to do, even if we did it even slightly. Um, the, the sort of benefits for the world would be huge. And a lot of it is the same technology and the same science. Um, it's just that the lifespan people think that you can take that science and keep going with it to the point where you don't have to die. Whereas, yeah, definitely all of the people I spoke to that are working on this, they're just focused on health span. Um, a couple of the the gene the geneticists and the gene editing people did entertain the idea. Said, well, you know, why not? Um, why couldn't, if you can make someone healthy for a bit longer, why couldn't you just make them live for, live for longer? Um, but on the whole, it's definitely, you see the more serious people are going after um, health span 
and and the the sort of fringe people and more militant people are definitely into lifespan um yeah but then if you ask the lifespan people why that is they have a sort of answer they say well these scientists can't say that they're working on lifespan because they won't get funding right because it sounds too ridiculous um which may be true for some of them i don't know but everyone that i said to said no we we just we're just going after health span yeah what are they targeting with health span specifically is it like maintaining muscle mass and dealing with things like cancer um like what what are some of the i guess key focuses or foci of you know fixing the health span issue yeah so i think a lot of it is targeting what they call the the hallmarks of aging which Mm -hmm. is sort of on a cellular level there's a lot of things that happen to our bodies as we get older um so it's things like telomere lengths we hear that come up a lot with aging the the length of telomeres and then but then the thinking changed whether we want long telomeres short telomeres uh goldilocks telomeres um so there's there's that uh there's several other hallmarks and they're all sort of very sort of on the cellular level and they're targeting um things like senescent cells whether we need senescent cells whether they do a job of protecting us against cancer um uh, and then on the whole, it's sort of treating that they, they like to say they're treating aging as a disease. Mm. So rather than saying, you know, people are dying of of cancer or or heart disease when they get older, actually what's killing them is aging, which is just creating the perfect um, circumstances in their body, I guess, um, and, and the perfect environment in their body for these things to to happen, for cancer to happen and, and heart disease to happen. So, um, so yeah, the the um, the focus is really on those those hallmarks of aging, and, and they're sort of talk, different people are talking different ones, um, but and the and so the idea really is, uh, I mean, some people think it would be like a magic bullet, which it would never be. Um, I think the idea is to really go after all of them, and it's kind of like a whack a mole thing. Like some people, some gerontologists believe, you know, no matter what you do, something's going to get you. So. You really are going against it. Uh, you're up against it, but you can keep going against something. You know, you 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 cure one thing, and then it might actually cause you to, you know, get cancer. Um, so it, there's a weird sort of flip side of the coin of immortality. Obviously, cancer cells are immortal cells. Um, so there is that weird relationship between living longer and cancer that um, it, it's it's always going to sort. Of, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting question. Um, but definitely it's about sort of stopping the circumstances which lead to those those life-ending diseases. Yeah, and what are senescent cells? Are they just cells that can't undergo mitosis anymore? They can't divide and basically reproduce themselves? Yeah, exactly. So they when they when they reach the point where they're dead, they're called zombie cells. Mm-hmm. Um some people call them. And then they sort of accumulate. Um and the so the bad thing that they do is they secrete proteins. Um which then sort of attack the tissue around them and damage the tissue around them. So there's several sort of approaches that you could take. Firstly, people thought, okay, we need to get rid of senescent cells. They're bad. Um, and they're killing us and they're leading to, you know, all these, all these diseases. And then we realized, well, actually cells go senescent. So they don't become cancerous. So it is an important process for cells to go senescent. Um, and then, uh, and then I think, but more recently, there's been a targeting of that secretion to stop them secreting the proteins or to mm. to nullify the proteins which they secrete. Um, and so, yeah, it, those those type of things are what makes us feel old, essentially. Like it contributes to inflammation, to uh, you know, all those feelings that you get. Maybe you know when you're feeling very old or or very hungover, I guess, whichever one. <laughs> yeah. um, when you're younger. Uh, but it's um, yeah, so it's a it's you know, that's a really promising area of research, uh, senescent cells and senolytics. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what kind of drugs. Already, a lot of money has gone into it, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of drugs come out of the research. Yeah, and, and while we're in the details a little bit, can you speak to telomeres as well? Kind of what they are and and their function. Yeah, so so telomeres are sort of seen as the sort of the cap that you get on the end of your shoelaces. Mm. Um, and they protect the sort of uh, cells from f- sort of fraying, like like when you the cap falls off your shoelace, it's fraying. So and then damage is caused to the to everything out to the cells. Um, so it's it's sort of believed that you know if you get, when you're tel- as you get older, your telomeres get shorter, um, and that can open you up to all kinds of damage. 
um on a cellular level which is you know the basic cellular breakdown of your body is then is then uh accelerated um so yeah so the idea is to sort of and, and sort of huge industries came out of this and here's things that you can buy that will measure your telomere length and there's no someone yeah one one paper i read was that you know if you're buying a telomere reading machine then it's not really what it says it is um <laughs> it's an extremely hard thing to read uh, so you're probably not just going to buy it off uh sort of the shopping channel um and it's going to tell you accurately whether your telomeres are long enough or not um so yeah so the, the idea there is that you would protect the telomere length um but then there was more research came out that said possibly too long a telomere length mm. and that will cause you issues so we need to be a, a decent length so you can see how these how these areas of research they they can bring you great hope if you're following it really closely but then over time actually the findings change the research has changed and then so you're constantly chasing these trends if you want to live a bit longer and so the, the people that are really obsessed with it they're just constantly reading these papers and looking for even the slightest bit of hope and then just following the trend yeah and you mentioned earlier too um you know the research on rats but it's often sick rats and in the book you talk about i think jellyfish and bowhead whales um and kind of the amazing things that they do in terms of senescence and and, and immortality um what are some of the things that we're learning from animals like is there significant value in and what animal studies are providing us in, in this regard yeah there's so i think the animals that give us the most information are the ones that live longer than you think they should Mm. So the mole rat is a really great example. The mole rat lives much longer than anything else. It's size and type. Uh, so it, it lives a lot longer than other things. And, and for some reason, they're very resistant to cancer. Mole rats barely ever get cancers. Um, so well done to the mole rats, I guess. Um, but so they're one of the really um, well-studied uh, animals. And then there are other animals, like you mentioned, there's the immortal jellyfish, um, which is down the other end of it's absolutely fascinating what they can do, but it's not much you can take. There's not much sort of you know, um, information that you can gain from a jellyfish that you can then apply to a human. It's it's right. about as far away as you can get. Um, and yeah, and there are other animals like like the bowhead whales who just live really really long. So there's definitely lessons you can take on how they are so sort of how they resist those those diseases because that's basically why they live longer is that they most of them are able to um fend off uh these diseases that that kill other animals um so yeah there's a lot to learn from from, from some of them with the bowhead whales do you know at all <clears throat> what the specifics were like are they maybe obviously there's probably a lot of work to be done here but is it something like they're just better at waste management for that secretion that you talked about from telomeres, like, are we seeing anything in that regard? Cause I think you said in the book, these bowhead whales can live up to 200 years, which just seems remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually don't know what the sort of latest research is on mm. the bowhead whale. Just, uh, and the problem with them is they're extremely hard to, mm. to sort of, to study especially over 200 years um, to see why they, why they live. That's another problem with immortality research is that you have to do it over a very long time. Um, so yeah, with, with the bowhead whale, I'm actually not sure. I'm sure there is some research out there. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head um, with some of the other species um, sort of like turtles, tortoises mm. that live for a very long time. A lot of it comes down to their ability to sort of, a lot of them can live without oxygen for a very long time. Um, and, and and so they're just very hardy species that can, just can go into a state where they don't use up much energy. Right. Um, and I think that's probably the same with the bowhead whales is they don't expend energy at the same, same sort of rate as other animals or other similar species. So I think that is one clue. Um, but yeah, the, the, the one thing you find when you go into this research and longevity is that we really don't know that much. Um, some of the really fundamental questions we're still guessing at, such as why do we die? Like, why do we die at this age? And why do other species die at other ages? It's really, we, we actually don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's theories why we die that, you know, when we get to a certain age, we're no longer 
helpful to society or the or the the tribe um and that we're just taking resources away instead of you know contributing but yeah that's another fascinating question of why why we have these things happen at, at certain points in in the human lifespan yeah and you bring up a really interesting point there um you know that i don't know if i often see explored in this which is the psychological impacts or societal impacts of if this work actually succeeded and specifically you know i believe i heard you somewhere else mention, and, and as you touched on there you know the idea is that once we become great grandparents were kind of no longer useful to the, the the resource management system that perpetuates life you know the we let the grandparent take care of the grandchild but the the great grandparents kind of too old to contribute much and they've done all the reproduction so they're no longer evolutionarily fit but what happens yeah. when the great grandparent is living you know for another 50 years or they have great great grandparents that are living you know like has have any of these people that you've talked to or in your research have you come across many people really considering what happens when you start having this many people living without you know kind of dying and making way for future generations yeah it does come up but it's largely i found that it was largely sort of brushed under the carpet a little mm. it's like the thing that they don't want to think about um uh, and people, major names in, in the longevity industry, like Aubrey de Grey, has actually come out and said, we no longer should be answering these questions. They're so, <laughs> he thinks the questions are so ridiculous that we don't need to uh, consider them. Um, so their, their basic argument, as far as I can tell, it might be more nuanced than this, is that if we've reached a point where we can conquer death, then we can fix anything else. And then that technology has reached a point where we can fix everything else. So for Questions like overpopulation, they say, well, we'll go out and we'll live on other planets. Um, and for for resources, uh, you know, lack of resources, we'll just, um, you know, we'll have ways, you know, maybe we'll have the replicator from Star Trek, for example, um, which, you know, which could well happen, but then it could also go the other way. We never know how technology is going to change uh, society. Um, and what, And I think what it doesn't take into account is definitely that, cultural and also political shift that there would be for having so many old people um, and we're about to see it I and mean, we do have a lot of old people in certain countries right now and you can see how it affects the politics and you have you know people voting for things that they're never even going to really benefit from because um, they're going to die in five years time and that can be infuriating for younger generations um so imagine how infuriating it would be if they were just always there, because you had this block of voters. <laughs> um, and also things just like wealth accumulation. Uh, obviously, people get richer and richer and richer. Just imagine trying to get on the property ladder in a world where people live till they're 200. It's, it's hard enough now. Um, so it, it, would, it would cause a lot of issues, and we'd have to sort of completely change society as we know it, sort of rip up the whole the whole blueprint and just start over again which you know might not be the worst idea but if you started again based on those principles and then, then that could go really badly wrong quite quickly yeah and starting again you know usually to create something new you have to destroy something and that phase between destruction and creation feels like it could uh be ripe with a lot of uh conflict and suffering you know in order to, to complete that transformation yeah absolutely yeah yeah, I'm surprised more people don't, I, I guess, you know, I guess it's not the, the focus, but it does make me think, you know, the, the, the psychological and societal effects, like these things aren't something that we as a species can just engineer, you know, our way out of what happens to human dynamics when you change the conditions uh, seem very important and like something that no one's really talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not one of our strong points as a species, really, is it? We don't Fair. we don't look ahead. We just kind of do it and then and then deal with the circumstances. Um, so yeah, you can kind of see why you would ignore it if you were just going for it. But again, again, I think a lot of the people that are chasing immortality, it's a very personal thing. They're not thinking necessarily, I want to make the whole world immortal. They want. They're saying, I individually want to live forever and experience the future um 
so they're not thinking on in terms of the whole species a lot of them yeah did you come up against other philosophical i guess quandaries with this and specifically i think of things like the ship of theseus are you familiar yeah yeah, yeah. so like this idea of let's say we're taking the mind uploading approach and we're transferring consciousness is that person that we you know if we're taking the digital immortality route is that person that we copy ourselves into is that still the same person is is that something that anyone's talking about as well or that you're seeing explored um yeah i mean it's something that i really wanted to get into um and i think you know when you take these questions to sort of so i spoke to a couple of philosophy professors um and i, I got the impression it wasn't something they'd necessarily thought about before they were, they were absolutely fascinated by this these this group of people that was just going headlong into immortality without thinking about these kind of things um because it yeah it is a really fascinating question like what makes you you um and you really need to establish that before you go into most of the um the immortality routes before you go down those paths especially mind uploading like you said if i uploaded my mind today um is that me or is that just me at this age like that's a very different person that's just been uploaded to me at age 19 or 21 or 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 82 Mm -hmm. um so it's this idea that that there is one you i think if we're getting really philosophical now um is is troubling and it, and you do rely on that for a lot of these techniques like the mind uploading you do rely on the fact that there's there is one you uh with cryonics you sort of rely on the fact that you your brain is you um but then you bring up things like memory and we have a lot of memories which are triggered purely by context. Um, mm. So there's some things that we won't remember unless we talk to certain people or we see a certain um, a part of town or, or you know, a, a, a certain movie. We won't, it won't trigger that memory. So if you were to die, you got frozen and you woke up 300 years later or 500 years later, and you'd lost all that context would those memories ever return they, they probably wouldn't ever so so is that still you are you still the same sort of you know the same ship to use the ship of theseus it's it, do you still have those same carvings and marks and things which uh which uh which define you so yeah there are some really deep philosophical questions that need to be answered i think before anybody would were to rush headlong into this um particularly around memory and yeah and identity and 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 it sort of goes back to religion as well so some of the the uh buddhism for example says that we're you know um we obviously we're reborn um but which again which version of us is reborn is it the version of us when we die is it the best version is it the worst version um yeah i think we just we think of ourselves as as a sort of singular entity across time and we're, we're very much not that so that really complicates the question. Yeah, it makes me think of the um, Russian individual. I can't think of his name, but you mentioned him in the book. And he um, is basically recording all aspects of his life in the the hope that, you know, the video recordings and things like this can kind of t teach an AI, I guess, who he is and his personality so that he can maybe clone himself in that future. But to, to bring that full circle, it seems to me like there's this shift maybe from the body being an important thing to preserve to the pattern and consciousness being an important thing to preserve. And that seems to change as technology changes. Is that something that you've seen as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Some people take it very literally immortality. It's like your body has to survive. Um, and then I think the further out you go into these sort of fringe sciences, the, the, you're really out there stuff like mind uploading it because it does change towards sort of you know we're just trying to preserve the essence of the person the personality of the person um and then that makes you think about the definition of immortality is it do you have to have a constant stream of consciousness to to live forever to be deemed immortal um and that gets you into the really question that really um sent me meant i couldn't sleep at night was was are we are we living you know when we go to sleep at night are we losing consciousness is it the same you know are we still going on even during that brief period 
because there's obviously when you wake up in the morning, we don't know that we haven't just woken up at that minute. That could be the start of our our lives. There's so much is uncertain in our own brains. Um, But I think, um, yeah, so there's that question of consciousness and and is a copy of you, you. Um, uh, And I think, yeah, what I think uh, Alexei is his name. I think Alexei Popatov, Mm -hmm. I think. and his question, his his sort of whole theory is: I'm just going to gather everything I can about me on the hope that some future. And it was an AI he was talking about. Um, I think he was talking about an AI, um, which he, we we had a great sort of clause in that, which hopefully the AI will not be evil, yeah. <laughs> which which we all hope, obviously, um, uh, would would bring him back to life. But would it be him? Would it just be some copy of him? It's it's that question with this, you know, um, bring up Star Trek again. I'm not even a big Star Trek fan, but I'm going to bring it up again with, when they sort of teleport down to the surface. Right. Is that question, is that, are, are they just being destroyed molecule by molecule and then a copy of them being put somewhere else so that they die like a hundred times an episode? Um, yeah, it's that question of like, what what is, immort- what is immortality? What is living? Is it, do you have to have that constant stream of consciousness? Which, I just, I just don't see that applying to the mind uploading. It's not, it's not you. It's not, yeah. it's not me as I am now. Do you see one of these avenues, whether it's the biological approach or the technological approach being more viable than the other? Like, does it seem like maybe realistically the biological approach with supplements and freezing the body and just keeping this thing going longer is, is going to work better than just transferring the consciousness to the machine um i think i I don't think cryonics or supplements will get us anywhere i think if anything biologically it would be sort of gene editing Mm. um and just just changing our body in such drastic ways that we're no longer programmed to die um so i think that's the best bet in terms of biologically um yeah, the the mind uploading and and taking the personality on into sort of the cloud or or some kind of uh, um, digital realm, it's just it's just fascinating to me. But I just can't. I don't think I can quite get my head around it. <laughs> it's such a yeah. it's such an enormous leap. Um, I guess the other question is: is could you put someone in some kind of virtuality space and then alter their perception of time in such a way that maybe they could? live lifetimes in that simulation which brings us to the the theory that we're already in one um so yeah i think that i i just yeah it just blows my mind when i think about it and obviously you can't rule you can't say nothing is possible and you can't say weirdly that nothing has not already been done and we're not living it right now um but with biologically i think gene editing i think of, of all the things um that that's an incredibly tricky thing. That is definitely one of the things where you change something here and you don't know how it affects something somewhere else. Um, but I, I, if it if it was come down to sort of that's essentially just coding the mm. the body to do what uh, to just keep going. It also seems more reliable in this sense and safer <laughs> in the sense that it's really hard to get someone to sign up. I think for the first test to like destroy their consciousness and upload it somewhere else. Whereas if you just tell somebody you're gonna change a gene they might be like okay i think i can i can deal with that i'll try that out yeah i'll give it a go if you're just flipping a switch then yeah (laughs) exactly well given given all of the stuff that you explored in the book and all the people you talked to what is your takeaway how do you walk away from this book uh considering where you started do you feel more optimistic that's that this is something that we're actually going to do that we will uh, in the words of Aubrey de Grey, reach escape velocity? Or is this something that you're thinking, yeah, we've definitely gotten a bit too excited and we might be, you know, at least a solid century or more <laughs> out? Yeah, I, I definitely got that impression that we're, that we're not, it's not imminent. Um, mm. And obviously that's an easy thing to say and the, and the argument against that is that, you know, the, the exponential curve, it, it's just going to kick off in, in one go. Um, which is a really solid argument, um, but reaching that that escape velocity just seems so far off. We're not; nobody's living longer. No mice are living to extraordinary lengths. No animals are living to extraordinary lengths that we're doing anything to. Um, so it feels like that original breakthrough is still a long way away. 
um, and whether our tools to create that breakthrough might improve, that would that would have an impact, of course. But yeah, my, so my my feelings going into it was, oh, this is a really cool concept. I'd be into it, uh, maybe. Um, and then I guess as I reported on it, this the, the topic of health span came up more and more and more, and that just seemed like such a more important goal. Um, and I think one of the conclusions I drew in the book was that the death actually is a lot better. Uh, well, that's not a great word. It, it's a lot. It's a lot kinder thing to happen than suffering. Um, and that's really health span is about reducing suffering, and and lifespan is about reducing death. Um, and death really is only bad for the person, uh, for the people left behind. Um, so. I think that was my main takeaway that we should re it, it's sort of a the wrong focus. We should be focusing completely on health span on and making sure that people are in a better state and that would help us help things even like the economy if we have a more productive um, population at an older age. Um, so if we can focus on that and then you know sure if there is an option to live an extra 20 years or 30 years and i'm sure people will will go down that avenue but i think first of all creating a world in which we all want to live a little bit longer um is is, is step one and then removing the suffering and increasing health span is, is step two and then maybe and then maybe come back to me and, and ask me about immortality i guess at that point yeah. uh, but those first two steps are absolutely gigantic so it still yeah. seems a long way off Fair enough. Peter, we're coming up on our time here. So I want to give you a, a chance to give us any closing remarks, talk about anything you're working on these days, tell people where they can find the book, whatever you want to talk about, feel free. Cool. Um, yeah. So the, the book is available um, in all, all bookstores, Amazon, um, anywhere you buy your books. Although you know, if you want to choose Amazon, maybe, maybe go for an independent bookstore if I have my choice. Um yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's it's just been a fascinating time. Uh, the weird thing is, when I wrote my first book about space, um, I for months afterwards, I was sort of uh, sick of space. I couldn't even watch a, a movie about space. Um, whereas this topic, I just can't, I can't seem to to get away from. I, I find it absolutely fascinating from the very fringes down to the very core science. It's something really cool to to get into. Um, and, and I think it's a topic that we'll see a lot more of. And I think there will be, there'll be a lot more books, probably much better written than mine in the future on this topic. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, maybe people can pick it up and tell me what they think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I enjoyed the book and I enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for your time, Peter. Awesome. Thanks so much.